It's a good weekend. It's a good weekend because it's still not July and 110. It's a good weekend because it's not 35 with the wind blowing 35 miles an hour either. In fact, we're still having moisture. We're still having great weather. School is almost out. For some, it already is. And people are leaning into the time of rest and refreshment, a time to break out of the ordinary and the routine and to address other opportunities in their life in order that they might be renewed. It's also a good day this weekend because it's a weekend when we do something important. And as each year goes by, it's more and more important because there are an increasing number of people in our world who do not know what it means to be thankful to people who made their every breath possible, who made the benefit of life that we know it real. There are people alive in this generation who have people who have served in conflicts, but it's a foreign concept, this thing called world war. And sometimes in our arrogance and in our simplicity, we believe we'll never see another world war. They never thought they would see World War II, by the way, either. Because World War I was going to be the war to end all wars. And indeed, we are at wars even today. Around this world, we are in a different kind of war, a different kind of conflict. And it's not just one of armament, but it's one of philosophy. It's one of religion. It's one of human value. It's one about everybody being important. Everybody being worthy of others caring about them. There are millions of people stranded, if you will, in nations around this world who have no one to protect them from the atrocities of those who are arrogant and powerful. They have no one to deliver them from the evil that befalls them on a daily basis. It's a good time to sit back Turn on some of the old movies about the wars. Oh, I know they're glamorized in ways that we think are above and beyond. But have you ever sat down and really talked to somebody who was in the trenches in World War II? I have at length. He knew what it was like to lay in that forest in Germany, in the snow, wounded not moving for hours upon hours upon hours. He knew what it was like to somehow escape certain death and be given the gifts of life that he was still living 50 years later. He knew what it was like to see people turn and run who simply could not stand the terror of combat. A small town boy small town Texas ways, knew what it was like to be in war. I have an uncle who's now with the Lord. After going around the world and doing a lot of that thing they call island hopping on his way to Japan, hardly ever got out of the house after he got back, never married, didn't have much to say about anything, And when a young teenage boy would pester him to come and join the rest of the family or come go with us, we're going somewhere neat, he would say, no, I don't really want to go, Douglas. And I'd say, come on, Kenneth, let's go. All the family's going to be there. He said, I've done all the traveling I ever want to do. So we sit in that bedroom 
by himself many hours of the day. World War II, he survived physically, but he never really recovered emotionally of the things that were done in those trenches on the way to Japan. Freedom gained, freedom protected, freedom guarded. It still goes on today. But it seems much more distant than it used to when so many family members were coming back without legs or without arms or so many family members were not coming back at all. But it still goes on. Even though we're better isolated from it, we still see those among us who are much younger who are still trying to recover from PSD, who are still trying to get their life back internally as well as externally. So yes, I will tape probably every show on TV that's about some conflict or some war, and I will turn them on. And in the midst of some of those scenes, I find tears running down my face. I wasn't there, but I know many who were. And I know the reality that they depict is more real than we want to mention. And I will shake my head and wonder at how they did it. How do you do that? I don't know how you charge that hill mounted and littered with machine guns who are raining death on you all around and people are falling like flies. I don't know how you do that. And in some recent movies, they've captured how people had to overcome their fear and that terror. And yet they drove on as a group. Individuals suffering, but as a group, they would not fail because the people back home were depending upon them. They were depending upon them to protect them from the evil that surrounded them and threatened their very existence. So sure, I'm going to watch them. And I'm not even going to feel bad about it. When it shows John Wayne doing something corny, I'll just say, get another one, John. Some of the more brutal ones, some of the more realistic ones in recent years, however, usually rob me of words and just leave me staring in amazement. I'm inspired by those stories, and I marvel at them. But you know, that's not the only story of sacrifice that I marvel at or that I'm inspired by. I'm inspired by this book and the stories of real men and women that are depicted in this book. I treasure this book like I treasure nothing else except my Savior, Jesus Christ. For in this book, there are stories of the people of God and the actions of God with creation in such a way that I can never, ever forget it. There is an intricacy and a beauty within these pages that leap out toward us and seek portals to enter us so that they might soak into our very being so that our minds and our hearts might be infected, if you will, with a virus who is God, ready to come into any part of our lives that we will allow. I'm inspired by its stories. I'm also appalled at the way some people use this book and what some people believe at this book, about this book. I don't talk about it more now a lot that I've gotten older. I'm not for sure that's a good thing. 
I don't quarrel with people like I used to in the earlier days about what exactly this little text means or that little text means because I'm so zeroed in on the reality of this book, this story of salvation and its possibility for all that it might be shared in love and with grace so that people can grasp it and receive what it has to offer them. And we ask ourselves, perhaps, just like we ask ourselves about those war heroes, how did they do it? Why is it so inspiring? Because they gave their lives for it. We ask ourselves the same thing about this book. What is it about this book that makes it special? To the people who call themselves evangelicals, I'll tell you it's this, that this book is God's attempt to tell us about himself. Despite what many educated, well-meaning intellectual persons will tell us, that this is a book written by men and our women. I think it's about a woman or two here or there, but it's mostly penned by men in that day and age. That it's, despite its antiquity and how long it's been around, that it is a book that tells us what we need to hear. That it is a book that reveals to us, by God's own design, God's own self. The spirit that inspired the men who wrote this book, causing them to remember it and causing them to write down from within their own selves this unique book is a story that captures people and guides us and continues to do so. This is not a book like other books that are inspired. So when the scripture says all scripture is inspired by God, it is not talking about the same way someone is inspired to write a poem. That inspiration is not the same. This book is a, is a canon, a canon of books that has been put together and is a veritable truth of God. All we'll ever get, there'll never be another book added to this book of books. Never. If it does, it will not be the same. You say, oh, there may, there's other things. I know there's not. There's simply not. There are people who think it's the same, but they're wrong. And I'm glad to share that with you today if you've been confused by that. People who get confused about thinking this is just a book or just some people wrote it don't understand this book. They haven't read it and they haven't received it in its fullness by the power of the Spirit. Only the Spirit who inspired this book can help people become spiritual enough to receive it fully. It's an inside deal. Oh, yeah, I can read it, and I can diagram the sentences like I can diagram any other book. And that's it, profitable for our learning and for our instruction. But only when I pray and allow my spirit to be open to God can I really receive its truth. Can I really grasp what it's trying to tell me? Oh, I know I can get some of it right on my own. And there are people who believe in all kinds of things about Scripture and how we how it's inspired and how we use it. But suffice it to say that it is God-breathed. The words in it are the word of God. They are for us to tell us about one we would never know in his reality except for this book. The things of nature point toward a revelation and are a revelation of God. But they cannot teach us near enough. The man Jesus Christ who was the living word and came to live among us. Show us at its height. And the words of God in this word of God will always coincide with how that man lived, died, and taught. 
They are not in conflict when the word of truth is rightly handled. This self-revelation from God is because God wants us to know who God is. God wants to be with us. And if we don't understand who God is, we can never really be with them. After 43 years of being with that woman that I live with, I know more about her at times than she knows about herself. Now, she'll tell you that she also knows more about me at times than I know about myself. And it's true. But if we hadn't lived together and shared who we are with each other and fought through the rough edges together, we wouldn't have that kind of relationship. The same is true with God. You have to understand God over a period of years before you fully know God. People say, well, I've been reading that book for three years. I still don't get it. I say, well, you just got started. This is not the newspaper where you can read and get a few facts and and tell a story. This is about a relationship that takes time to build. And you don't get that without giving yourself to it and to the spirit who wrote it. It was God in the Spirit who wrote it through these people. And you say, well, how does that work? How did God get what he wanted written down? Okay, that's what I'm here for today, to tell you exactly how that happened. Now, this self-revelation from God that comes through nature, even through history, and it's personified in the man Jesus who lived on this earth is important because it's that living word. People inspired by the Spirit whose minds were full of the Spirit, were influenced to write the words of the Spirit so that all that is necessary for salvation has been shared and said in this book. God did not come to them in a strange way. There are people who will tell you every exact word in this book is exactly the way it's meant to be because it was dictated by God, and a person wrote down exactly what God told him to write. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe it. I don't believe those people were robots. In fact, Scripture tells us in 2 Peter 1.21 that it was holy men of God inspired by the Spirit who wrote the Scriptures. That's different. You have a cooperation between the holiness of men, fully as they are men, but touched by the Spirit of God so that they could hear and then write down the words that would tell the story of God. But they were still human. These were not robots. The mechanical theory or dictation theory, as some call it, a biblical interpretation is too wooden. It's too legalistic. It's not full enough to express what Scripture's intended. It's not touched by human beings enough to be really and truly from God. There are those who also believe in an intuition and illumination theory. And they say, very wise men and women of God were so smart and so studious that they applied a special visit of the Spirit and wrote down what came from themselves in this book. They would say, it's open to us all. 
to be just so enlightened by the Spirit that we too might write what would be Scripture in our minds. And I say 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The trouble with only humans who are wise and more knowledgeable than the rest of us writing this book is that every one of them, like us, are sinful, as it says in 1 Corinthians. Do you want a group of people who are simply sinful people writing down a book because they're smart? If they'd have written it, we'd have been through with it about 2,000 years ago. It wouldn't have lasted the first year. No, we don't want just a mechanical version of God writing it down with a penman. And we don't want a version of just people who are smarter than us writing it down. We need something else. And it it is what evangelicals claim today. We call it a mediating version. It is a harmony of divine and human factors. God spoke. He spoke to humans, to people through their personalities and through their cultures. And he caused them through that inspiration to write the truth that God wanted written. You can still sense their personalities. You can sense the struggles of their day. These were real people. They were filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit spoke to them, and they wrote it down. And we know it's not perfect. There are grammatical errors. There are people who remember one instant different than another, but that's what God wanted because he wanted to prove it was real. Right now, when you leave for this place this morning, you ask, somebody asks you, well, what did the preacher say this morning? If there were 10 of you having a meal discussing what I said, there'd probably be at least seven different answers. The only one that would be for sure what I said would be God, because I certainly won't remember everything I said. You said, isn't that a problem, preacher? No, nah, not really. <laughs> I'm not wor- worried. If you're here listening to the Spirit, the Spirit will teach you. And sometimes it will do it despite what I say. Sometimes he'll say despite what I've written down, what he won't said. That's the way it works. These two factors coming together made up the scriptures. You say, yeah, but preacher, in Second Timothy, they were talking about really the Old Testament, right? Yeah, they were. But then in First Peter, we also read where Peter refers to Paul in the same way that he refers to the Old Testament writers as writing scriptures for the people. It claims inspiration for itself and for the writings to come that we didn't even know anything about before it ever arrives. And for that reason, that unique time in history when God disclosed himself through the Holy Spirit to people who were moved by the Holy Spirit and in tune with God to write down the scriptures we had today, that makes it an incredible, incredible book. And that's why I say they won't write any more of those. I don't need any more books to this book. This book tells me all I need to know to go to heaven. Look up John Wesley and what he said about Scripture and read his quotes. He said, man, I want that book. My paraphrase. I want to read that book and study that book so I'll be sure I'm in heaven where that's going to be. I'm a man of one book. This book. Now, you say... But preacher, we don't all agree. I know there are some who have not yet heard me explain exactly what they should believe. (laughs) Whole denominations are are living in darkness, right? Because they haven't got Doug's way. Wrong. 
If you get through denominations, the ones we call Christian, for the most part, you're going to find great unanimity in what they believe. They believe that you have to have faith. They believe that Jesus Christ was God's son. They believe that through faith and trust in him, you will live eternally and be with God. If they're not believing that, they're not Christian. They don't care about that book. Now, there are a lot of things in that book that we disagree on. We're, we're open to that. Interpretation is there, but it won't affect whether you're going to heaven or hell or not. It will affect what kind of church building you buy, maybe. It might affect how you pray. It might affect what you call yourself with whatever brand you are. But it won't change the truth of the story of salvation in these scriptures. The rule of the faith is revealed, and the Bible reveals that by revealing to us the will of God concerning all things necessary for our salvation. Now, you say, well, how do we get all these different things? Well, because there is an art to study in Scripture, and there are those who are willing to mine deeper for the truth of God. Whether you're reading or studying or interpreting the Scripture, there are things you must remember. And first of all, and most important of all, I'm going to start with this fact. This book is a progressive revelation. The God of Revelation and the God of Genesis is the same God. But we don't get all we need to know about the story in Genesis. So don't be quoting an eye and eye for a tooth for tooth to me, please. That's early on in the, in the Bible's history of humankind. Jesus wiped all that out. Don't do what you want to do anyway and then claim, well, it says in Exodus, because somebody's going to say, well, it says in John. And guess what? John is more important than Exodus because it's a later revelation. It's about Christ, our Savior. Jesus fulfilled the law by reinterpreting the law. The book of Revelation that comes out in these books through the ages are not all the same. They change and things are replaced by the fullness. You couldn't stand to hear it all at once. And we couldn't stand to hear it all at once 2,000 years ago, much less 4,000 years before that when God was talking to Abraham, give or take a few thousand years, whenever that happened. I don't know why God chose to do it that way. Why start with Abraham? Abram then more correctly, right? I don't know. Why not just tell everybody at once, God, and get it over with? Why take thousands of years to reveal humankind? I know why that happened. A professor explained it to me in seminary. All I had to do was take June bug in my hands yesterday. I had to call Rachel and say, Rachel, it's been a month since I've seen my newest grandchild. And I said, so here it is. Either I'm coming there or you're coming here. Which is it going to be? I think we're coming home. I said, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> because a month is too, mo- it's too long. And as I hold Junebug in my hands, I can do a lot of things with June, but all she really wants to do is hold my finger, mimic my faces, and stick her tongue out and see if I'm going to feed her. That's all she really wants to do. And if she hollers, I just have to get up and walk her. Now, as she gets older and comes to visit, she'll be more like Micah, who will come up to me and speak words that now at two and a half have meaning. She walked up to me yesterday. First thing she said to me, she walked up and stood right in front of me and said, Papa, I love you. Yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) 
after I said, I love you too. Now, that's not always the message I hear from Micah at two and a half. But then there's Miller, who's six. It's different when I talk to Miller than when I talk to June, right? Well, we as humanity had to grow up from infants, barbarians, if you will, to who we are. And sometimes we think, well, couldn't God have done it a lot faster? I don't know. Look at what a mess he still got. We're still a mess. After all these years of this, reading this book and having this book, we're still a mess. But you have to remember it's a progressive revelation. You have to remember you have to study it in its context. You have to know what's going on in the people of that day. Quit taking a sentence out and quoting it for another purpose that it was intended in Scripture. Just stop it. It makes Christians look ignorant. Proof texting is very dangerous. I'm going to tell off on some of my preaching friends. How many times have I gone to a sermon of a particular persuasion, and I've left it, and somebody said to me, boy, that preacher was really preaching the Bible, wasn't he? I said, yeah, 38 verses he quoted. How many of them were in context and really about the topic he was preaching about? And you say, can we check you on that? Yes, you should. You're responsible for what you let go into your ears and find its place in your heart. Sometimes you can take a verse out of context and use it in another context where it can be true, but it's not what it was written for. You should not quote Scripture and use it in that way without telling people that's what you're doing. Because context makes all the difference in the world. We should also look in Western in terms and the Reformers' terms, we should look for its plain meaning. The big meaning of the pericope or the text or the homiletical section you're studying has a point to make, and that's usually clear. Yes, I know we make sermons about the 14 points in the main point. That's if we didn't, y'all all go home, you'd get so bored. We'd be coming up here every morning, just like Charles, wouldn't we, Charles? We'd just come up every morning. Instead of what says, love your neighbors. Bye. Y'all want to know how to love your neighbors, so we start telling you many reasons and ways to love your neighbors, right? We just don't say what the text says, but it says love your neighbors. And love means this. It's the this where you need to be careful. You need to be careful when you're expanding what the main text is. A parable is a parable. It has one main truth, not 13. It has one main idea. And I know some writers are writing books and you buy them in stores, and they tell you, oh, a parable can have many meanings. Well, yeah, we can make it have many meanings. But they were a short story told to a simple people with a simple message that's meant to be received. And here's an important one. After you get the plain meaning down of a passage, don't take the hardest passage in Scripture and use it to interpret the clearest. Please. People say, well, let's study Revelation. And I go, yeah, well... Most of you don't know enough about the Bible to study Revelation. I know some of you have been teaching it, and I'm not throwing things at you because people love to hear about Revelation. The writer didn't even know what he was writing half the time. There was a key to it that's been lost. They're guessing a lot. And every time you pay $14.95 for a book about a lot of certain dates and stuff, you're just encouraging them to be foolish. Don't buy those books. They don't know when Jesus is coming any more than Jesus does. Only God knows that. He told you that in the scriptures, right? 
Why get excited about when if he comes? Come now. It's all right. We'll, we'll go. Come later. How much time have I used? This is a holiday. I should have quit a long time ago. I should just be rewarded by you showed up, right? The clear in scriptures enlightens the difficult, not the other way around. Remember that. Christ is a living word, the full expression of all that you study, and they should come together. Now, if we're inspired by scriptures, we should be inspired to believe them, to believe in the Christ they write about. We should be inspired to follow the, our Savior. We should be inspired to tell others. And as long as we're being so inspired, this book will only get older and older. People say, well, the church is dying. Well, the church is getting smaller, but dying? church is not going to die. There will be believers here when Jesus returns. The question is, are you and I some of those believers? And if we are, how many people are we going to tell about the one we believe in? How many of the stories do we know enough that we can just share them in an offhand manner at a ball game sitting on the bench? How often, as Ethan grows up, is he going to hear at home and in this church and in this building these stories so that they become a part of the truth that he believes? This book was written for all of us and the Protestant Reformation the revolt in the church against the Catholic church holding on to the knowledge was simply this, that this book is written and meant to be accessible to every person who will open it and read it. Its clear meaning is there for you. Are some things hard to understand? Yes. But don't worry, you don't have to get it all the first reading. Just keep reading, keep studying, and you'll be amazed at how much other people are turning to you for advice. For the truth that in here is in here becomes the truth that's in you, and it becomes the truth that others seek. Praise be to God. We can be inspired today by the one who gave his life for us. Just like Shiv is giving a part of his life every year to save the people of Cambodia. Just like you can be inspired to save everybody on your block, everybody in your family. Even Knothead John came down and joined the church. He said, who's Knothead John? Is that young man right back there? You know, he lived with us for about a year and a half. He joined the church about three weeks ago. He caught me by, so by surprise, I forgot to tell you, he's my nephew. <laughs> and on some days, he's my nephew on my wife's side. <laughs> but John came back to the Lord. And now John is in church and now John is following a savior and if Jesus returns John will be following me or I'll probably be following him I'll be bringing up the rear I usually do <laughs> who's waiting to join your family train on the way to heaven who in your neighborhood is waiting for somebody to just talk to them about this book without being afraid to share its difficulties, without being afraid to tell how it came to be, 
who's taken the time to Google it. If you need to Google it, Google the canon of the Bible. Read about how it was formed. It's amazing. And read about the one who inspired it all. Father God, these are your people, and lovely they are. When they could have been doing something else, they chose to come here and worship you. And that's the case always, Lord, when we worship you, whether it's a holiday or a regular day. Every day is a choice. And our praise for you should rise from within us every day. We thank you and we love you for the word. We are a people of the word and we will not leave it. We cling to it only in relative terms lesser than we cling to our our Savior, Jesus the Christ, and to the God of our salvation. Bless us. If there's anyone who needs you today, speak to them, Lord, as we stand and sing this closing song together. For I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.